0: Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we are grateful for the gathering of your people. We're grateful, Lord, for people who are um, serving and eager to serve. Thank you, Lord, for those who are eager to hear your word and to be formed and shaped by it. We ask, God, that you would uh, meet us this morning, that you would open our hearts to Your Word, and Your Word to our hearts, who might know You and love You and be Your good stewards. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Sure, yeah. anybody else got. some? Sure, yeah. Got, uh, if you, if you ne- have never gotten this ministry guide, um, we'd love for you to take uh, take one for your family. To look through it, it's basically uh, a booklet form of, of the ministry fair that, that's out there. So, we'd love for you to... And
1: we have lots more in the, yep. in the church and in the office.
0: All right. Sometimes it, it might feel a little like, as we move towards uh, October, uh, as we um, as we move towards what is annually sort of known as stewardship season, that the readings kind of take on this sort of financial flavor. And um, and I think that Jesus did that because uh, because of October uh, coming up is, is why. It's just the way that the um, the readings run. There's uh, so we haven't designed it, and of course, I didn't. You know, we've been doing this. I didn't design all the way back uh, a year and a half, a year ago, that when we started Matthew, that that we would be uh, here. But here we are. Uh, another, just like the sermon, a um, a reading that has to do with with wealth. Uh, we're continuing towards Jerusalem, uh, and we continue through the section that we've entitled. Uh, uh, discipleship as death and resurrection, because as Jesus is heading to the cross, Matthew is uh, having us to explore how we uh, take up our cross in order to follow Jesus, in a, in a variety of ways, um, uh, that we are, we are to take up our cross, in which uh, Christ, uh, following Christ requires a sort of death to self, death to our selfish ambitions. Uh, death, death to our self-serving inclinations, death to our pride, death to our unforgiveness, death to our own rights to ourselves. That's, a, that's important. We've we put to death our right to ourselves. We've given that right uh, over to the Lord. But we also have resurrection, resurrection to new life, a better life that God has for us, a better life of freedom, of self-forgetfulness, of restored relationships, um, a life that is characterized by both the receiving And the giving of grace. I would say in that order. We cannot be uh, adequate givers of grace until we have received grace. So, last week we looked at marital relationships, and um, sort of, I guess, specifically as the sort of death to an easy out uh, of marriage and hopefully a resurrection to a renewed commitment um, by both spouses. But but also, thankfully, as a death to marriage is a vehicle of oppression to women and hopefully as a resurrection to a relationship of mutual love and, and flourishing in the marriage relationship. Um, and we said that Matthew had included that vignette uh, here in this place because marriage uh, is is a consuming, and I mean that in the best way, encompassing, I guess is a, be- a better way to say that, an re- con- encompassing relationship. Um And discipleship in marriage requires death to self on a daily basis. Well, another encompassing aspect of our lives is uh, in the lives of the disciple uh, that requires death to self is our relationship to money. Uh, Everything that we do has some sort of price tag attached to it. Most of you who had breakfast this morning put a little bit of money uh, in the plate you're wearing clothes that you paid for. You drove a car over that you paid for in gas that you paid for on roads that you roundabout way paid for. Um, you are um, everything that that we do uh, is has some price tag to it, and so our relationship with money is actually very important to our relationship with Christ. So. Um, <clears throat> We have, this morning, the rich young ruler, or the rich young man, as Matthew says. I think, it's, I think it's Mark that specifies that he's a ruler of some kind. Perhaps that's related to the fact that he uh, has wealth. But, um, uh, so anyway, I think the best thing to do is, just, is to read it and, to, um, and then talk about it. Uh, let's have someone read through verse 22. Someone do that for me. Read through verse 22. Thank you, Connie.
2: And behold, a man came up to him, saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And he said to him, Why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. said to him, which ones? And Jesus said, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, all these I have kept. What do I still lack? Jesus said to him, if you would be perfect, go sell what you possess and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. When
0: the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Um, Thank you so much. So Mark and Luke tell this story also, and they have Jesus saying, I mean, they have the man saying to Jesus, Good good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Matthew has a little bit different. Teacher, what good thing must I do to have eternal life? And, and I, I, most scholars will tell you that that Matthew has just recognized that um, that inherits. We don't do anything to inherit, and so uh, the emphasis is on the good deeds. And so uh, he's just he's just sort of um, swapped up the language uh, a little bit. I have often criticized. I've taught on this uh, passage many times of, of, in the three different gospels, and I've often criticized. This uh, young man as uh, equating his good works with salvation, the key to enter, entering eternal life, uh, as a sort of category mistake. Uh, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What must I do? What good thing must I do to have eternal life? Uh, and and I, it's because I'm completely allergic uh, as a sort of reformed Christian um, to to say that, and I mean the Reformation era, not that I was a Christian, but now I'm a better Christian. Um, but, but in the, as one who understands that salvation comes by grace through faith and not by good works, so I'm allergic when I hear "What must I do to have uh, eternal life?" But actually, I think that uh, that's not fair to the young man in his own context. Uh, as I've been thinking about it, as I'm reading a little bit about it, um, for for the young man, this would have not he would not have considered that. Oh, I'm not. He's not here to say, I'm not interested in grace. I want to know what I can do. Um, we might have that sometimes, but 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 I don't think that would have been a, um, a, a thought for him because to do the good works was, in fact, grace. Um, obedience was part and parcel with God's acceptance in his culture, in his religious context. Psalm 119 is, is one of many, many examples of the mindset that to meditate on... On the law of the Lord and to follow His commands is absolute delight, not simply drudgery or duty, but um, but delight. Uh, and, and it certainly—I mean—I think we even even those of us who who are uh, grace-centered or grace-sort uh, of specific in our uh, bent toward of, of Christianity, our flavor of Christianity—even uh, we would say that. That to follow God's commands is the best life, um, and to be obedient, be obedient. And in fact, uh, we would say that's a, a result of the grace that God has given to us. But I, I am, I, I'm sort of, and I not This I probably should be careful uh, because this is not in my notes. But I, I'm really thinking, uh, sort of challenging myself. I've been spent so much time talking about grace. That have I? I'm wondering. Have I called you? Have I called myself? Have I called the people to whom I've preached? Uh, to discipleship enough. Um, the uh, In preaching grace, and grace, and grace, I, I think we're, there's a danger of what uh, Bonhoeffer would call um, cheap grace. Which is to say, it's really no big deal what we do because God's going to forgive us anyway. When in fact, it's a huge deal what we do. We don't want to presume upon that grace. And a life of obedience is the best life. So we're going to talk a little bit more about that. And you'll, there's a... If you, I don't know if you ever read The Cost of Discipleship by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. That's what I'm reading right now. And so you'll see flavors uh, of that. It's, I, I commend it to you. It's not an easy read, but it, I commend it to you. The Cost of Discipleship. So, so this young man is, is obviously, he is religious. And he is knowledgeable. Uh, he has paid attention. Uh, but he is conflicted. And he wants to discuss salvation with the good rabbi. Uh, it almost seems like an academic question. Um, what must I do? I, you know, I, I don't, how do you, how do you read it? When you, when you read this, do you see this as a suffering soul who is confused, or you see someone who is coming as a, uh, as a sort of removed curiosity, what, um, or something else? Well, how, how do you see it? Richard? I was going to answer it, but I'll,
3: I'll ruin your sermon because the, the basis of your sermon if I heard you right is, is without God there's a hole that can't be filled by anything but God. Right. And what I see in this young man who you correct me if I'm wrong is, is living in a period of free grace as we understand it. Christ hasn't died and been resurrected. So all he knows is Judaism and the law of Judaism. Right. And the law for him doesn't fulfill his need. What he's looking for in life, which could be meaning, fulfillment, whatever. But whatever it is, he's that got it.
0: That's right. Yeah, he's so he has at least outwardly obeyed the law. Right. And yet it's not enough. And that's an incredible question. Why is it not enough? Like that's, we're gonna we're gonna I think get there um, a little bit. I wrote a lot of these notes on an airplane, so I'm pretty sure I know what they say. But um, the um, so he's conflicted. What else? Anybody else want to? How do you normally read this man?
3: Yes. Maybe I'm reading this differently, but I see a man who is accustomed to being affirmed by all around him. Okay. He's the power of the person in the audience he attends. And so, he's really seeking, perhaps, affirmation. He's expecting Jesus to say, man, you're there. I mean, I would hold you up to all of my listeners.
0: Yes. Not, I, you know, there's a lot to be commended in that. I, um, I've often joked that this is the kind of man I want my daughter to marry. You know, like he's... Now, he's a little self-righteous, but he's he's you know religious and he's kind and he's he wants to do the right thing and he's you know successful, so I don't have to care for it. I mean, I pay for it anymore. So, um, the um, just I mean, it's, that's the bottom of the list. You know, it's it's on the list. Um, but you know, it, the, this is why you have a conversation with someone rather than writing them in an email because you know you can't you don't know how to, how the inflection is right. I mean, so we we, we don't know a lot of it, we we we'll put ourselves on this young man. And so if you're conflicted, you'll find someone who's conflicted. If you've always sought affirmation, then you're going to see that. And I don't mean to say anything about you, sir. Yes? Well, I just have kind of uh, an
1: off-putting on this. Because I I agree, it sounds pretty pompous. Like, has he every minute of every day really kept that law? And Jesus's reply is someone, somewhat like that, taking him down a peg. If you would be perfect,
0: yeah. And
1: he kind of comes off like he thinks he is perfect.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, he's probably good looking too. You know, I, just, I hate those guys. Um, probably. Yeah. Um, but he does. Jesus immediately takes him down a peg when he says, "Why do you call me good?" <laughs> he wants to talk with the rabbi. Maybe for affirmation, maybe for spiritual counsel, uh, maybe for academic uh, purposes. But he's just—he's—he he's, doesn't have all the answers, whether they're in their head or his, his head or his heart. There's only one who's good. Matthew avoids the possible uh, re- misreading uh, that we can get from Matthew, uh, from Mark and Luke, where where he says, "Why do you call me good?" There's a, where he says, "Good teacher." That's why he says, uh, what good thing must I do? When in, Matthew, in Mark and Luke, he says, uh, good teacher, what must I do? And Jesus says, what, why do you call me good? Then um, you could misread that to, to hear Jesus saying, I'm not God, but you shouldn't call me good. Uh, when I think clearly he's saying, he's hinting at that he is God and he's the only one who's good. If you recognize goodness in, in him, it's because he is, in fact, the son of God. In Matthew... Takes Matthew cleans that up for us a, a little bit by saying, um, "Teacher, what good thing must I do? Why do you call? Uh, why do you refer to something that is good? What, how does he say it exactly?" He says, um, uh, "Why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. That is to say, if there is anything uh, that is to be done that is good, it is of God. And uh, but but either way, I think this this young man should be." Coming around to the fact that this is no ordinary good rabbi. Uh, and perhaps that, that, um, that he is, in fact, the Son of God. He's, uh, Jesus opening the door, I think, to understanding that he's not just saying, here's what I think about the commandments, but he's offering a new commandment. Because ultimately, where he's going to get to, what must I do to inherit, inherit eternal life, is follow me. Yes, Dorsey.
3: I guess one, one, one
2: slam is this, uh, especially
3: in the, uh, Matthew, uh, is that maybe he's done a lot of bad things. and Now he wants to know what can he do good to rectify the bad stuff so he can have eternal
0: life. So well, like, a well, like I said, we see ourselves in this young man a lot of times, Dorsey. So um, the uh, um, the... <laughs> You know, I don't. I don't know. I mean, he's, he he at least over at least outwardly says, well, I, I've done all these things, and maybe you know, who knows what his thought life is like? I mean, that's what Jesus does in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, okay, you've heard it said, uh, don't commit adultery, but if you look at a woman lustfully, uh, then you so then you've committed adultery with her in your heart. So the, Jesus has always, I think, taken the the uh, outward expression of the law and, and planted it in our hearts and made that uh, where we. Where we are so. Whether he has done outwardly really bad things and said, "You know, how do I get back on the right track?" Um, that would—I mean—that would be a minority reading, I think. I mean, that most most people understand that he is he's morally straight because he's simply put on his own testimony. Um, but certainly, I think for someone who has been off track, speaking as one, someone who's been off track, uh, it is an important question. In fact, let's just give the man some credit. If this is the question. I mean, this is the most important question. What? How do I get there? How do I get there? So I think shockingly to us, because we want Jesus to say, listen, you don't have to do anything, it's all on me. You know, let there be a grace. Shockingly, Jesus points him to the commandments. You want to enter inner life? Obey the commandments. That's what the man has found lacking in his own life because he's doing it at least. Let's just assume for a minute he's doing the commandments, but he's not doing them from his heart. He's doing them to save his own skin. He's not doing them because he loves God. He's not not fulfilling the commandments. He's just obeying them. To fulfill them is to do them out of a heart of love, not out of self-protection. Bonhoeffer says, and this is what I've been wrestling with, that only those who believe obey, and only those who obey believe. So, what should you do when you're struggling with belief? You should obey. And what should you do when you're struggling to obey? You should see that you are not believing and ret- repent and return in your belief. Only those who believe obey. And those only those who obey believe. So, uh, so Bonhoeffer would say, do you know what I'm talking about, Dietrich Bonhoeffer? you know who I'm talking about? He was a, a martyr in World War II uh, German scholar and pastor, amazing. Um, so he would say that, that belief here is um, opened. Uh, belief opens the way to obedience, but actually, he's, uh, it also works the other way. That obedience opens the way to belief. Because how can you how can you commit yourself to following the letter of the law if you're not sure that the one who has told you this knows what he's talking about? Um, so obedience opens the way to belief. Do you do you agree with this? Is that how do you, when I say that obedience, only only those who obey believe and only those who believe obey, how, how does that strike you? I see
1: that.
0: You see that, yeah.
1: Because as, as a child, you learn the Ten Commandments, and that's all you register right then, because
0: mm-hmm.
1: you, know, you have your parents. But somewhere along the line in your faith as you grow, you make that transition, but you do know, not what I do. It's, it's it's having Christ in me, and everything else just naturally flows out of that love for Christ. Because you want to to please Him and to honor Him, and and to help others naturally once He's in your
0: heart. Yes, and I think I think too, be, obedience that that is done not for self-protection, but as obedience is. is Done out of a heart of love for the Father actually helps us to see that He knew what was right for us all along. I don't know that I agree
2: with that. I think believers we have a heart that wants to be obedient if we're true believers, but we're not always obedient.
0: No, no, no. no I I agree, and I think and and so would Bonhoeffer. So would Jesus. We're not always obedient, um, and that's when we we need to evaluate our belief. Like, why are we... And disobedience is, is fundamentally a, a, a misbelief. I believe that I know better than God. I mean, that's, that's Adam and Eve in the garden. Um, and so I, I think that, you know, when, when we disobey, it's because we haven't put our faith in, in Christ. So obedience... To to buckle down on obedience is to say again, I have to trust. I mean, Jesus says, "If you love me, you will obey my commands." It's um, He's not saying, "I don't care about anything but your obedience." He's saying that the fruit of a love loving relationship and that faith is going to be obedience. It's definitely something to wrestle with, but we're never there. The whole our, you know, we're never all we never get there all the way, anyway. But belief, I think, is ultimately where the young Jesus wants the young man to land. But he can't <coughs> believe if he's unwilling to obey, particularly, particularly in his context. And and he exposes the the young man exposes his dissatisfaction with the law when he says, "Well, which ones?" Okay, so I obey the commandments. Well, which ones? Now, uh, a charitable reading of this might say that um, he's, there's 613 laws in the in the Pentateuch. And he wanted to know which ones the rabbi thought were most specifically and best applied to his life. But the, then again, he might be like the lawyer who gets the parable of the Good Samaritan. Who also says, uh, what must I do to inherit eternal life? But he's, he's specifically asking the question to test Jesus. Um, and the lawyer, if you remember, Jesus says, go back to the law. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. And he says, but who's my neighbor? So he's trying to find a loophole, right? And, it's, and I think perhaps the young man is also trying to find a loophole. Because that is, I don't think he's just, uh, if he is dissatisfied with the law, if he has been overtly obedient but is, has found it lacking in its fulfillment and has not filled that hole in his heart, um, then, then I think what we would say is that uh, he is trying to play fast and loose, that he is perhaps not fully obedient. um, That he is, in fact, doing other things, but he's just checking off the boxes. He is righteous by the society's standards, but not by the standards of the law. Yes, Linda. I find it
1: interesting that Jesus enumerates the commandments, but not the first four that have to do with our
3: relationship with
1: God. Right. And the young man doesn't bring that up himself.
0: He also well, he doesn't does get the last... So he doesn't get the first four, which have to do with our relation with God. He also doesn't get the last one, which is don't covet. Yeah. Which is what like the man's whole problem is. Right? <laughs> so, uh, very interesting.
3: He does say you have to love your neighbor as yourself.
0: He does. He adds that in. So, so this front. would have been a, a sort What's of... Is that one of
3: the first four?
0: You no, know, that's a... Love your neighbor as yourself is not one of the first four. It's, it's, it's a summary of the second tablet, And, and it's... um and it's really just um, to say this is this is a summary of what would have been considered good in in his culture this is not an unusual list but it's the 10 commandments it's not complicated but he says well i've done i've done these and yet there's so he's he's o- his heart is open because he's still conflicted and he's still confused and he says if, jesus says if you would be perfect which means if you would be complete if you'd if you would bring your faith to fulfillment, not if you would be without flaw, because you, we, that, that ship has sailed, but if, you're, if, if everything was, would be complete in your faith and sell everything, give it all away and follow me. Are we called, friends, are we called to sell everything? No. Boy, we hope not, right? <laughs> How do you know... That we're not called to sell everything, and that you're not just saying that, so that you don't have to sell everything.
3: I don't think God wants us to be without anything.
0: I mean, you you don't think that? That's on you. What it says right here: sell everything. That's what this is the this is the word of God. This is how we know what God wants. He he says it right here. If you would be perfect, sell your possessions. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> nobody's perfect
3: I
1: think he knows that we all would have trouble with that even the poorest poor person might have trouble with
0: that I think yes I think the question is is this a, is this a command to this young man or, or is it universal that's 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 right. How can we take care of the poor if we don't have anything? Right. We to the get poor. It all yeah. away. So right.
3: this, this isn't a conflict. I think this is being addressed to the individual because, of, like you said, he didn't bring out the last one, the covenant. With. So that's probably part of the problem with, with the young man. And I think the last line there says that he went away sorrowful. He didn't get the affirmation he was looking for. It wasn't like, oh, you're doing a great job, keep it up. He didn't get the answer he was looking for. Mm -hmm. So he
0: went away sorrowful. Well, I think that Jesus is, I mean, we're we're told elsewhere that Jesus knows what's in the heart of a man and a woman. And so I think he knows this young man. And he knows what has his heart. And and let's be honest wealth has all of our hearts on, on some level. I think we all need to ask, if we didn't have anything, could we still love God? I mean, St. Paul says, if we have food and clothing, and I think we could add shelter to that, although he doesn't say it, um, with these we will be content. If you you were to lose the things that you have, if you didn't have, I mean, let's, let's just for a minute say, you don't have anything, you're taken care of, but you don't have anything. Can you, is your relationship with God tied up in that? Is your, is, is, your comf, is your comfort part of the condition upon which we love God?
2: I think sometimes when, when we look at maybe what we want or what someone else has that we want, we're not content. But when we. That's because our eyes are going this way, not this way. If we're looking at God and knowing that everything we do have comes from Him, that this comfortable bed <coughs> I have to sleep in and this roof over my head, <coughs> and knowing that it comes from Him, I'm content. But when I lose my contentment, I'm looking at my car's falling apart, and I, I want that one, and... <coughs> It would be nice to get a new one and, you know, that kind of thing. Then I lose my contentment. But I have a vehicle that runs, and I have these things, and I know that God gave them to me, and I feel perfectly content.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Just our, our sight is, it depends on where our sight is.
0: Yeah. I think, I, I think where I would take this, I mean, because let's be honest, if you all sold your stuff, eventually, pretty soon, I'll be out of a job. You know, like, we, 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 the church, we, I mean, a lot of, a lot of our, um, uh, a lot of our, their society depends on, on people having money to spend, um, and a lot of our faith life, and we can't ask for charity, I mean, they can't, so I don't think he, I do not think that he is calling everyone to sell their possessions, but I do think he's calling all of us to let go of the things that crowd our hearts. Yes.
1: I look in my heart I look at it this
2: way. Some people will always have more than I have. Some people will always have less than I have. I'm grateful for what I have. No matter how much I have
1: or haven't had. I just you have to just feel grateful. You know?
0: Yeah, and I don't think there's that I agree with that a hundred percent. And I don't think that it's wrong to seek more. I think it's wrong to need more. That makes sense? Yes. Yes. And he went away sad. And I think I probably would have too. I probably would have too. Um, we want what we want. Now, I'd, that doesn't mean he didn't come back around. <clears throat> but the, the answer to the question, what must I do to inherit eternal life, is to strip away everything that hinders our following Christ and follow Christ. Following Christ is what we must do to inherit eternal life.
1: I think also it's it's a question for us. If God called us, as he did others in the Bible, to drop everything and go to this place, are we ready, with our possessions we have, ready to get rid of them and just go like the disciples did?
0: Well, that's right. I mean, that's that's a wonderful um, pairing uh, to talk about the scripture. where, where Jesus called the disciples to drop their nets, and, and um, because you know the question is when we when we are called to follow Christ, it's it's a it's an all or nothing sort of thing, even though it doesn't always work out like that in our life. You know, there's a progression that comes with it, but it, but there's um, it's it's what is what is our God? What is the thing that we are that we must have? And Jesus says that's that's His place. It's his to sit on the throne of our hearts. And I think the young man sees that. and He's not willing and ready yet to make that decision. And I, um, I think it's important to know that Mark just puts a little side note in that says that Jesus looked at him and loved him. And it was in loving him that he made this incredible burden. And says, um, come and sell all your things and follow me. And Jesus said to his disciples, truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Do not believe that there was some little small gate called the eye of a needle and the camel had to get on its knees and crawl through. And it... What makes it so hard? Why would Jesus say this?
1: Because that person was very comfortable. So, were
0: giving up stuff and... so he's now moved away from the young man. Yes, he was comfortable, but, he's, and, and, but he said now much more generally, it is more difficult for a camel to go through the eye of a needle, let's just take that literally, uh, which is impossible, than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven, which is problematic. And in fact, the disciples see that it's problematic, and they say, well, then who can be saved? Because obviously God has blessed this person. And Jesus says, with God, all things are possible. The camel can get through the eye of the needle. A rich man can, and rich woman, a rich person, can have uh, their heart uncrowded. And he's saying that
1: only with
0: God is that possible. Only with God.
1: Only with God.
0: On his oil, be the because there's only the only God can 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 convince us that He is actually more valuable than the things that crowd our heart. And so we go back to sermon. the sermon. Wealth has a unique way of getting into our hearts, and it is a divine excavation that that is required. What is idolatry?
3: Idolizing something.
0: Taking a good thing and making it a god thing, right? Yeah, idol worship—not just a—not just a, uh, a little golden head, you know—but uh, but actually to say, I need this in order to be satisfied. This is very uncomfortable. It's, it's, it's very—it it ought to make us uncomfortable. Um, Peter says, "Well, man, that sounds pretty good." That, um, I mean, they're astonished, but if everything's possible, well, look, we've left everything. So what do we get? I yeah. know
1: Peter falls into it again.
0: Peter just falls right in the trap, right? But Jesus then actually kind of goes there with him because he says that you will get a reward. Like, you will have riches beyond what you can imagine, but it's not gold and silver. Not big, fancy house. You know, those are fine. If you've got a big, fancy house, I'm so excited for you, truly. Just use it for the glory of God. Um, but there is this a sense of reward that comes. But I think is, and, and there is blessing in this life, to be sure. But I think we're talking about heavenly reward. But that's that's what that's what we want. I mean, that's that's the goal. And it's it's very easy, I think, to look at this life and look around us and want heavenly reward. And there's nothing wrong with things. Again. Money's not the problem. It's, how we, it's, it's our love of money that's the problem. It's how we view those things. So, I think this is a really challenge. It's, it's a passage that we know pretty well, but it's also, the deeper we get into it, the more challenging uh, it is. It calls us not to be ashamed, but to give our hearts more fully to Christ. That's, that's the thing. So what is crowding your heart from the love of Christ? And following him. That's the question. All right, we've got about two minutes for questions or comments. What you got? I have a comment? Yes, ma'am. Have you
1: ever seen in a ill position? See the hearse? Have you ever seen a U-haul?
0: A U-haul behind the hearse? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can't take it with you. That's what uh, that's what Paul says in the in First Timothy. Yeah. Yeah, you can't take it. Can't take it with you. We
1: have pop-up sales, <laughs> so others can get
0: it. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. I mean, the thing is, it's like, listen. I mean, I. I it would be hard for me to to not have things. But could I be content without things? I th- I don't know. I think so. But. What about the people in my life? What about my family? Like, you know I mean? It's just... But ultimately, God is the only thing that sits on the throne of our hearts. And again, this is... This, I don't want to create shame. I want us to just evaluate because and trust that, that we, like the young man, want to inherit eternal life and the answer is following Christ. And ultimately, there's a stripping away of the things that we think will add value uh, and comfort and even salvation. And, um, and it's Christ alone. It's Christ alone. And even the things that we think are blessing, they may be, but they're not salvation.
3: Dorsey? If, if, we, if we got rid of some of the stuff, there would be more room for God.
0: Well, I do think it's good not to have not to be too crowded now listen my don't come to my garage but I I, um, I I think yeah I'm gonna call the sons of our savior and see if they No. um the uh I, I think that um I mean it is it is important I think to just as part of our discipleship we don't if if we get into debt if we get into I mean like it just we can easily fill up our uh, capacity to pay for things and, um, and not be able to be generous. How, how has God... What does God want from, uh, um, from you? And is our, uh, is our life structured in order to be able to give Him what He wants? It's an ongoing question. I'm just going to leave that right there. Go to church. Sign up for some to serve. Thank you so much.